You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org. was with me on the Brothers Show a couple of weeks ago, and one of the main requests I got was, would you have Gordon come back, Steve? And Steve, would you not talk so much? Would you just let Gordon talk? Which, uh, it's funny, if you could hear Gordon and me talk when it's the two of us, I, I don't know. Who, 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 gets, who talks the most, Gordon, you or me, when it's just you and me? I'm not really sure. Uh, probably 50-50. <laughs> well, I, I, it, it, I, I ought to listen to you more, and uh, I'm I'm certainly going to do that tonight. But I know one of the things specifically that people asked if I could back us up and uh, and and get you to finish answering a question. Uh, you said something that that uh, made me think of something funny, and then we went in a different direction. But we were talking about: Do you read the Bible different as you've gotten older and wiser? Do you read the Bible different these days uh, from how you read it when you were a younger preacher and a younger disciple, a younger Christian? And you started telling a story, uh, and I know it's a true story. You started telling a story about how you grew up in a church that did communion from one cup. I'm not going to interrupt you this time, but if you would just start there and go anywhere you want. Okay. Well, the... Uh... The background that Steve and I have in the uh, what I call mainstream churches of Christ, the uh, background that we have there was a unity movement to try to get back to the Bible and to unify everyone by uh, being able to just go to the Bible itself and throw away all the traditions and the backgrounds and all of that and just do what the Bible said. But uh, that didn't prove to be quite as uh, easy as people thought. Because when you go back to what you read the early church doing, the question comes up, uh, is what they were doing a part of their cultural setting, or was that intended to be a pattern from then on, no matter what it was? And so because our particular group got into what I call pattern theology, uh, they very closely tried to follow the Bible to the point that things like the, the one cup group that I was raised in the Bible says Jesus took the cup. Well, it, it didn't say cups, it said the cup. And so therefore, if we want to be like the early church, we need to do it exactly as Jesus instituted. And uh, as a result of that, there were many different groups, uh, different from each other in slight ways, but they thought they were very serious ways. Uh, the disciples in the New Testament often met in an upper room. And so there were churches literally that built their church building on stilts so that they could meet in an upper room and follow the pattern that they saw in the New Testament. So it went to some really crazy links. Uh, it would be very funny if it hadn't been so disunifying. But uh, now when I read the Bible, I don't just take everything I read without regard to the, the setting of the times. Uh, and it doesn't affect all of that much. Right now I'm working on the prison epistles some. Ephesians, Colossians, and uh, Philipp Philippians especially, and uh, in those, I mean, many of the commands uh, and teachings have to do with basic morality and relationship with each other, relationship with God, and uh, they are just as they read. I apply them just as they read. There are other areas that uh, I look at, and I think, okay, here's what they did. Here's what they were commanded. Uh, but they're talking about slavery, for example, in some cases. So he talks to masters and slaves. There's no direct correlation to that today, praise God. Uh, but uh, I look at that and I think, okay, well, that was a, a cultural setting because the Romans, as they conquered different countries, they put many people into slavery, doctors, lawyers, everything. Uh, half the population was in some form of slavery, uh, some scholars say. And so I, I look at settings that don't fit ours, and I don't try to make it apples to apples when it's really actually apples to oranges in design. And so it just takes some uh, attention to look at the context. And that's always a big thing. What is the context of it? 
but uh, there are several aspects of context, one of which is cultural context, and we have to look at that. So does that answer your question uh, in brief form? Well, well, I, well, I'm just getting you started. I remember you talked about there was a literal situation where everybody read the Bible to say, well, Jesus took one cup, so he took one cup. What, what, what changed that way of reading the Bible? For me? In that situation. Uh, well, in that situation, I, it just the practical side for one thing. I mean, uh, I don't think you'd get too many people to sign up for one cup today. In fact, I, I knew a minister who was raised in a one cup setting, and he said they were one cuppers until Uncle John or whatever the guy's name was got tuberculosis, and then they became overnight a two cup church. And so I think God gave us a brain that kind of functions if we'll let it in some practical, logical areas that we can look at and, and realize the real issue isn't the container. The real issue is what we are doing in the communion and what it means to us with God and what it means to us with one another. Are there, are there a number of ways that uh, you have sort of taken that principle and you look at the scriptures on, on other subjects differently? Well, one of the current ones that uh, the lady sitting next to you and I have talked about some is the whole gender issue. Uh, and so you have to decide, okay, they were in a very patriarchal setting when the New Testament was written. So is what is said there about women's role the same that we need to have today, or do we look at that as a, as a patriarchal setting that we've sort of uh, grown out of, at least in the Western world and in America particularly? Uh, do we look at that differently? Do we look at husband-wife relationship differently? Uh, Ephesians 5, the husband's the head of the wife, the, the uh, wife submits to the husband in everything. Of course, that'd be pretty easy to do, Lisa, if we guys could love our wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed the way that he did. Uh, be that as it may though, uh, in my marriage of 55 years, I've sat back and just looked at my marriage and thought, do I still view that exactly the same way? And honestly, I don't. I read these books about the husband needs to make the final decision for the, for the uh, couple. And I'm thinking, uh, what if the woman is smarter? I know a lot of women smarter than their wives. In fact, <laughs> maybe the majority, Steve, I, I won't meddle too much here, but be, be, be that as it may, uh, I honestly look at my marriage as, as a teamwork thing. And we have ways to deal with differences, but I, by no means do I intend to make the final decision uh, in, Big matters or little matters. In big matters, if we can't agree, we pull somebody else in to help us with it. Uh, in little matters, we honestly sort of decide in a way that I heard about in a marriage retreat once, and that is we sort of pick out a number that represents how strongly we feel about something, and whoever comes up with the highest number, that's what we do. So do you want to eat at this place or that place? How strongly do you feel? So if one of us feels an eight and the other one a four, whoever is eight, regardless of gender, that's where we go. And so we, we work as a team and I have a much different view of the husband-wife relationship based on 55 years of marriage, as well as understanding uh, cultural context of passages like Ephesians uh, 5. And so I would tend to look at that somewhat differently. Well, it, it seems to me, and, and it's, and, and I want to state this as a matter of opinion, it, it seems to me most of the marriages that I've seen work in my lifetime, they've been partnerships. Right. And, and uh, sometimes one partner is overall maybe stronger or whatever than the other. And most cases, each partner has their strengths and their weaknesses, and they right. they compensate for each other. And so I have to say, to be fair, I have to say, well, it's a matter of opinion. It's what I've seen and experienced. Mm -hmm. And I certainly, like anybody that, that wants to try to do God's will, I don't want to go against the scriptures. But I know one of the things that that 
changed the way I look at a lot of things in the Bible has been in works. Jesus said, uh, was it in, a, in John chapter 7? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I think it was John 7, but there's a lot of things in John 7 that basically if you want to know what he's uh, teaching is from God or not, put it into practice. Basically a 30-day guarantee. Try it for 30 days. If you don't like it, if you don't think it's from God, well, uh, it seems the uh, uh, the couples, and, and we're we're just talking about marriage. I, I it seems like in marriage, certainly partnerships have been the prevailing success story that I've witnessed. But the subject's bigger than marriage. I mean, you another thing we've talked about is we've been very. Uh, in our ministry lives, you and me both and the, and the, and the horses we've run with. I mean, it's been very uh, uh, tilted towards the, the greatest Christian life is you've got to be married. You, you've got to have a family. And it's, and basically if you're, if you're not married. And so uh, though there's been a lot of people that have done great things, trying to lift single people up. I, I think, I think a lot of folks would agree that there's been an overwhelming emphasis on on getting married uh as a decide rather than talking about you know how great it can be to be single you know also so right. so i wanted to say that to say partnership is uh in in the kingdom of god is more than just marriage it's men and women working together i think in in every situation and, and on well, just men and women working together as partners and being able to respect and view each other right. as partners. Uh, I, I, I want to ask a specific question because I know that uh, one of the last times we talked, uh, one of the comments from someone is men are already abdicating too much leadership. And uh, it seems like when when brothers, when we're talking about having a different view of gender roles in the church and men and women working together more as partners. And uh, I think some of the things I think you're gonna talk about tonight about uh, a gift-based leadership as opposed to a gender-based leadership. It seems like one of the first things is a lot of people feel like, we're, well, this is going to make men more spineless. Men are already abdicating too much. Men don't wanna lead or, or, uh, or giving up leadership. What? Do you have anything to say to that? Well, if all of us are trying to imitate Jesus and following the teachings of the uh, gifts, for example, like in Romans 12, if we're all trying to do our best, then all we want is the best result that looks the most like Jesus. And so I was in a chat room tonight um, in our Zoom midweek here in Dallas, and it broke us out into some groups. And so in one of the groups, when it split up, this one uh, woman, one sister, she began sort of leading the group. Well, it's obvious somebody has to do it. We're supposed to all discuss something. And she just naturally jumped in. Her job, I'm sure, has her in a leadership role. And uh, she jumped in and began to do that in a very effective way. It wasn't you know, there was zero wrong with it in my mind. I was glad she did it. I was enjoying kicking back. I get tired of everyone looking at me because I'm an old dude and have been a church leader. I get tired of being looked at as, you know, grab the thing and go with it, Gordon. I, I'd rather be a follower, uh, you know, as much as I can. I enjoy that. So at any rate, uh, the sister did quite a good job at that. And the only result we were looking for is everyone participate. Every person did, including a teenager that was in the group. Everyone shared. It was quite well done. Uh, so if our goal is to be effective for Jesus and to be like Jesus, then no one's going to advocate anything uh, if they have the opportunity to serve and a gift that fits into a given situation they find themselves in. Well, that sounds like maybe it's a, a good place for you just to start. You said you wanted to begin in Matthew. And tell I do. Something. So I'll, I'll do it. Uh, I want to I start off. I'm going to Romans 12 in a moment, but I want to start off in Matthew 23 because there's a principle there that I would like to sort of guide us through uh, Romans 12 with. 
And so in Matthew 23, we'll pick up in verse uh, 6, and I'll read through verse 12. I'm uh, out of the uh, New American Standard Bible because I like the way it translates a, a certain thing in this passage. But turn to that, Matthew 23. And um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says some of the strongest things that you could possibly say uh, to them in a very uh, uh, convicting way, hopefully. But at any rate, he's describing the wrong kind of leader. And he comes out with one verse in here that I'm going to use all the way through Romans 12. But he says, beginning in verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, almost 20, Wyndham Shaw and I wrote a book entitled Golden Rule Leadership. And we simply talked about leadership in terms of how would you like to be led? And then as people's kids got older and got into uh, the teen ministry and campus ministry, I changed that way of looking at it a, a slight bit and said, uh, you need to lead like you would want your children to be led. And so he had, uh, in many respects, a military style of leadership with a lot of people. And so uh, we wrote the book entitled Golden Rule Leadership. I think it was a very good book. Uh, I wrote one later myself. It was much longer and stronger called Dynamic Leadership. And uh, Wyndham wrote the uh, foreword for that. And uh, at any rate, the first chapter, as I recall, used this passage and talked about these three terms, about being called teacher and father and leader. And, he, and Jesus said, don't do it. Well, that's interesting because Paul called himself all three. And so evidently, Jesus is addressing something that Paul addressed a different way. And so the way I addressed it in my chapter is to say that Jesus is talking about uh, offices and titles. And he says, don't do that. Whereas when Paul called himself a leader or a father uh, or a teacher, which he called himself all of those, when he did it, he was talking about a role and a function, not a title and an office. And so that helps us view ourselves in the right way. And so I explain to people that when I'm in a role like the one I'm in now, uh, I am here as a teacher. And so I have the authority of a teacher while I am teaching. That's uh, what my role is at the moment, my function. Now, when I am done, if we had a, a broad chat room here after I'm done, uh, then we'd just chat and I'd just be one of the bros. That's all I would be. I wouldn't be Gordon the teacher. Uh, because I'm not Gordon the teacher, I'm Gordon who teaches, and there is a difference between those. But the verse that I really want to camp out on in Romans from this passage is verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And so that's what Jesus said. If you want to be great, you be a servant of other people. And that's what Romans 12 is going to show us in the very beginning of it. So I want to read Romans 12 now, beginning in verse 3, and then I'll talk about uh, several different points that I get out of the passage that I believe are very fundamental to being the right kind of leader or the right kind of follower, for that matter, the right kind of disciple. So in verse 3, he says, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. 
And so he begins by saying that we got to look at ourselves soberly, not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to realize that all the functions and the gifts that we have are designed to help other people. And he goes on down and names them, beginning down in verse six. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. <laughs> if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So four points that I get out of this passage or will get out of it tonight. One is the view of ourselves. Some people talk about gifts in, in terms of, well, you need to find your gift because then you'll feel good about yourself. You will be fulfilled. You'll be, be who you're made out to be. Then your life will be satisfying. And in this Me Too generation, it's very difficult not to go there, not to start there because it's all about us personally. And yet Paul said, before we even get into this, uh, chill out, humble out, uh, it's not about you. It's about everyone besides you and whatever gifts you have, it is to serve other people. And so then the words of Jesus in Matthew 23 ring so true, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. So my gifts are given me to serve, not to make me feel good about Gordon. Now, when I use my, my gifts, will I feel a sense of accomplishment or fulfillment or that I'm doing what I was created to do? Sure, but that's not why I do it. Uh, there are days I don't want to do it. There are times when I get up and teach, I'd like to be somewhere else, but I have a gift and that gift means that I have a responsibility to God to use it for the purposes for which it's intended. And so therefore, it's not about me. It's about me using my gift. Having a gift doesn't even mean that you're spiritual. I mean, the church in Corinth had gifts out the ears, but they were the most unspiritual church in the New Testament in all likelihood, at least from reading. Maybe some of the ones in uh, maybe Laodicea or whatever in Revelation 2 and 3, we could make a case there. But the point is, they were an unspiritual group that had many miraculous spiritual gifts. And so having a gift doesn't even make you spiritual. There are days that I've exercised my gift of teaching when I didn't want to be there. And I just prayed, God, I'm a mess today. Again, I'm a mess, Lord, but these people deserve better than me. So help me to be the better part of me today, let the Holy Spirit lead me to do that uh, for their sake, and you and I will work me out later. And God has honored that over and over. But the point is, even having a gift, it's not to make Gordon feel good about Gordon, it is to minister to other people because the greatest of all is the servant of all. That's one important point. Second thing that I get out of the uh, gift passage here in Romans 12 is that uh, none of the gifts is said to be inferior or superior to other gifts. One time, many years ago, I've written this up in a book or two of mine, but many years ago, my wife uh, was feeling down one day and uh, she said, you know, you've got a real teaching gift use it a lot, people recognize it, etc. She said, that's not my gift. She said, I teach when I'm asked to teach. And my, my wife actually is a very good teacher. We've taught a lot together, done a lot of marriage and parenting things together. Uh, she's a very good teacher, but she says, I don't have the same gift that you do. And uh, she was feeling uh, down about herself that day. And I realized we, we tend to exalt the upfront, what I call the upfront gifts, the teaching gift, the leadership gift, et cetera. We tend to exalt those gifts. And then the behind the scenes gifts, we don't uh, look at in quite the same way of admiration. And so I said, honey, stop and think about this. Okay, you, you've got a tremendous gift of encouragement. 
you've got an amazing gift of serving. I'm not even close to you in those areas, not even close. I said, okay, I've got a teaching gift, a leading gift. Now, which one of those do you think people esteem the most? And she answered correctly, the upfront gifts. That's what we do, right? Uh, but I said, which one do you think God values the most? And I said, it's an easy answer. It's the other ones because they are the most connected to Christian character. And so I said, on the day of judgment, uh, I hope to squeak in, but uh, I would feel more comfortable if I had your gift set rather than mine. And that's true, actually. And so I think what none of the gifts are, are rated above the other one. And the, the gifts of uh, encouragement and and uh, mercy and give it so many gifts there that are sort of the behind the scenes ones, but God uh, honors those I think in a very special way because they are more more closely connected to spirituality or character. So that's the second point. The greatest will be your servant. That's what Jesus said. Well, if you got the gift of serving, good night. You're already off to a jump start. Uh, because you've got the gift Jesus said was the greatest. Now, I've got the responsibility to serve. I have the responsibility uh, to encourage, but the way I do better in my responsibility is by imitating those that have the gift. I'm better at encouraging by watching my wife. I am better at serving by watching my wife. She's, she's gifted in those areas. I still have the responsibilities that I discharge because I'm a disciple, but I imitate her and I've gotten better at it. So that's uh, another point. The third point kind of sounds the same, but it's different. No gift is superior. And I want to focus in on the leadership gift. He talks about the gift of leadership here. He does not exalt that gift above all the other gifts. And then within the leadership gift area, you have a number of different roles that are possible. I've served as an elder, as a teacher, as an evangelist. I've done different roles, but uh, the, the Bible doesn't exalt one of those roles over the other, but we have. We've exalted the evangelist role over just about everything else. And it took our movement a long time to figure out kind of the place of elders uh, because we wanted to make sure that the evangelists uh, ultimately called all the shots. And so we had a lot to learn there. I think we've learned a lot. I think we have some things still to learn. But to me, the, the roles that I've had, whichever one I'm functioning in, I'm going to think like that. I want to be surrounded uh, by a team. I've got my evangelist hat on. I want an elder and a teacher around to keep me straight. On the other hand, if I've got the elder's hat on, I'm going to try to keep the evangelist straight. And all the way around, we're, we're a team. We're working together, just like a man and a woman in a marriage work together as a team because they do have a different perspective in some areas. We need to do that in a leadership group. So I'm all for team leadership. Uh, I'm all for, uh, and that, that's a whole nother subject I wrote a book about, so I won't get into that one too much. But even there, the greatest among you shall be your servant. I was visiting with a sister recently. She and another friend of hers came through on a trip, spent the night with us. I've known her since she was a newly wed. She's a grandma now, I think. And uh, so, she went back during a certain period of time, I think she was traveling in the car a lot, and she went back and listened to a number of lessons from the REACH conference in St. Louis that took place, uh, what, four years ago. She said, I listened to class after class, main speech after main speech. She said, almost every person introduced themselves in this fashion. They said, hello, my name is so-and-so, and I lead the so-and-so church. Uh, sometimes they said, I'm so-and-so, and my wife and I lead the so-and-so church. Only a few people said, hello, my name is so-and-so, and I serve the so-and-so 
church. She said that was pretty striking. She and her husband at one time were on the ministry staff. So she knows kind of how we think, but that was striking to her. And uh, I, I think we would do better to learn to describe ourselves. If we want to be great, why not use the term Jesus did? I mean, even to start with, if our heart's not there, at least use the term he said was the greatest rather than the one that we've exalted into the greatest. So we've got some work to do on that. And so I normally just say enough to muddy the water, stir things up, make people think. I don't try to settle it all out. And I won't on that one either. The fourth thing that I will mention that we've already discussed a little is that gender is not mentioned in reference to any of the roles. So I would have to assume if I'm going to make it a gender-based issue, I've got to assume, well, everybody knows that the men are the leaders. Well, that's a nice assumption that many men have made, but it is flat out an assumption. You can't get it out of the passage with a crowbar. It says nothing about that. And uh, further, if I uh, start off with the uh, book of Acts chapter two, when the church was established, and Peter says, this is a whole new ball game now, folks. That's about what he said. We had the Old Testament, we had the priesthood, we had the sacrifices, we had all of that. But this is a new ball game today. And the very way the church started with the Holy Spirit coming down on the apostles and the sounds and the sights and all of that. I mean, it was, it was definitely different. And Peter stands up and quotes from Joel chapter two. And he says, in the last days, God says, this is Joel talking, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just on the prophets, not just on a few select people as in the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. Now that's when the church started. So if I'm in that audience and I hear the guy get up there and say that stuff, then I'm gonna think, wow, we're in for a new day, aren't we? We're gonna have sons and daughters prophesying. We're gonna have even servants, men and women, males and females prophesying, wow. If I was there that day, I would expect to see it, wouldn't you? And yet, we've not seen it. 20 years ago, we finally decided to let women baptize other women. Uh, I'll say we decided, we males. Uh, let women baptize other women and let women pass communion trays and get up and share uh, maybe for a communion talk. That was a huge step for us 20 years ago. Uh, but we've not progressed uh, a great deal in some places since then, although a lot of us have progressed more just out of flat out, I call pragmatism. Sometimes we just instinctively figure out something fits. I wrote an article, I forget the title of it, it's on my website, gordonferguson.org, but I have a, an article on there, fairly long one, about the, the whole gender role issue. I call it gender inclusion now, that's my favorite term for the topic. But in the gender inclusion realm, I talked about uh, those things and, and raise the question, does pragmatism have a place? And uh, I think it does. I think in Philippians uh, 3, where Paul talked about these lofty, lofty principles, and then he turns around and says, uh, after those principles, all of us should think this way, but he says, if on some point you think differently, in other words, if you're not quite spiritual yet, God will reveal it. Apocalypsis, he uses the term for revelation. He will reveal it to you. Well, that means as we go along, things just kind of click. The light bulb goes off. We have an aha moment and we think, gee, we're already doing that. Maybe there's just a real practical reason now God's helped us to see it. And so we've already done more of this than uh, 
than you would think. I was in a leadership conference in Singapore 2015, I think. And uh, Linda Brumley and I were assigned a class on forgiveness. Well, Linda's a great friend of mine. We've worked together. We were in leadership meetings together back in the 80s. We had team leadership and women in the leadership meetings back in the 1980s. That was pragmatism to me. I'm thinking, why would you not want a woman's voice in a church that's made up of over half women? So I figured that out, duh, back in about 1985. So anyway, London was in the meeting along with my wife and the other wife. And uh, so we had this class together in Singapore in 2015. She had just written a book on forgiveness. I said, hey, you just written a book on it. I said, I'll, I'll just kind of kick the class off so I can say I had a part and give a little background of an Old Testament setting they wanted us to use. But I said, you just take the class. And so Linda got up and took the class and she did a great job teaching it. No one walked out. I never heard a word about it. It just seemed the right thing to do in that setting with a woman author who had just written a book on forgiveness and happens to have a great gift of teaching. And so we've done some things. Uh, the question mark is, uh, you know, can we do that? Should we do that? I know what the Johnson family uh, thinks about that. But there's a, a lot of study that's gone on about it. There are a lot of different opinions. Uh, I have found as a result of writing and teaching some on the topic that for some reason more emotion gets into this topic than almost any other that I've raised. And it's usually men's emotions on that, uh, which is interesting to me. I think some men seem to be threatened by the idea of women being much more involved in leadership. I'm not threatened by that at all. Back in the day, back in the 80s, uh, I've been in a lot of leadership groups since those days, but uh, I've been in a lot of men's leadership groups and we made big decisions for the direction of the church or a group of churches. And I go home and tell my wife, hey, honey, this is really exciting. Here's what we decided to do. And my wife says, you did what? You decided what? Have you thought about this, 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 and this? I said, oh, nuts. Now we got to call another meeting and go back and try to fix it. So I'm much more an advocate of team leadership, but not just having the wives of leaders in there. What about those single people you're talking about? I want to hear from all quarters. What about a single mom? I want to know her perspective on things that relate, especially uh, to her or will affect her and her family. Uh, what about older people? Uh, what about the younger ones? I'm really into the whole concept of youth because I go back and study religious history and I look at the apostles. I think uh, John had to be a teenager. He had to be. Uh, if he put out Revelation in his other uh, four books, when they say in the 90s, he had to be a teenager. Pretty young one at that. And so most movements in, are started off by youth. I think the apostles were pretty much a youth movement. I mean, we know what the older guys were doing. Jesus was uh, having to talk to them pretty strongly a lot. And then you go into uh, church history and we needed uh, a, a reformation and that came along. Martin Luther nailed some theses to a church door. I've seen that church door, uh, but uh, he nailed those to a door. He's around 30, but was working on all that before he was 30. John Calvin wrote, I don't know how anybody wrote that many books without a computer, but he did. And he started that in his 20s. And then you go down to our American Restoration Movement, which is sort of our parent movement in the ICOC. You go back and look at that, and you've got Alexander Campbell, who's uh, in his 20s, you've got Barton W. Stone. Those were the two big names in the American Restoration Movement. Barton W. Stone was about 30. And then you come down to the campus ministry movement that evolved into what we are today. And you've got uh, Chuck Lucas at about 30 and Kip at about 25. And so I've got a, a book that will be coming out called The Power of Spiritual Leadership. The last chapter is entitled my hope is in our youth. 
and I basically say, uh, to the chagrin of some, a lot of our older leaders who used to be new wine, breaking old wineskins, have become old wineskins, but they don't know it. They don't mean badly, they're just a little out of sync, a little out of touch. And uh, so I'm all in for the young guys too. I definitely want to hear from them. Almost more than any other group, I want to hear from young people. Are they rambunctious? Yes. Uh, will they say some stupid stuff? Yes. Will they do some crazy things? Yes. Well, what do you do with that? Well, why don't you ask Jesus? He had two apostles that wanted to burn down a whole city. So whatever our young people do, I don't think they're going to be more radical than a couple of guys that wanted to burn down a city named James and John. And so, uh, anyway, I can go off on that one too. I've got a lot of subjects I can go off on. And so maybe I've gone off enough for tonight to stir up some thinking and to get people talking, but I'll just uh, put a stop on it right there for now. I've gotten in enough trouble for one night. <laughs> Gordon, thank you so much. This has really been wonderful. Um, and I, um, I appreciate you listening to people listening it's like at at your stage in life and accomplishments in life it means a lot for you to listen to women for you to listen to young people for you to really even fight for all of us to have a voice to be able to be heard i know that it encouraged my very heart to talk with you and hear you say, Lisa, you, you know, we, you need to say, you need to say what you're learning and studying. And, and, um, and I appreciate that. And I know that we've got a lot of young people right now that are having trouble with some of these issues and, and they're having difficulty. Um, and, and I think they feel like there's a ceiling and in the congregations where they are and they don't know how to use their, their gifts. They're not sure how to use their voice and they're having trouble sometimes feeling useful. And I'm I don't want them as you don't like to leave because they don't feel like they're, they're valuable, they're valued. So I think that the more that we can say that, that we want to hear what they have to say and find venues where we can give them a voice and then really hear them. I, I'm really excited about that. And particularly on my heart is the singles. I, I have such a, I feel like we have done a disservice to right. the singles, um, that we've made the church feel like it's for couples, it's couple leadership and couple, and, and we've designed a lot of things, I think, without meaning to, and I think that it has made a lot of, I know single women, but even I've talked to single men that feel like there's no place for me to use my gifts. So I think that all of this is so important. It is inclusion. It's like the whole body working together. I love how you, you know, you brought that out and talked about it. I, um, I know that, you know, one of the things, and we, you and I haven't talked specifically about this, but I know that Paul had women partners. Mm -hmm. He worked with coworkers, and um, and I think that that's something that I had missed a lot of as I had studied and taught the Bible. And I mean, I knew you know Priscilla and Aquila. You know, I, I knew that he had been partners and worked with them, but I had missed a lot of the other references. And when I started studying out even some of the Greek words, and realized that he really considered them co-workers, a lot of different women, and commended them and their work with him. And I thought that was really an amazing thing. I know in the book of Romans um, that Phoebe was one of them that he, he talks about. And, um, and I didn't know if you had any insight or whatever, because I know that there's a word, and I don't want to, you know, ask something that you're not ready to talk about, but there was a word that is used to describe um, Phoebe, I think it's uh, prostatus in the Greek and then over in Romans 12, where you were, that's the same, it's the root word, the same root word as used for if 
they, you know, if your gift is leadership, then do it diligently. And um, that it's that idea of leading and that that was that same root word even used for Phoebe just a, a few pages over in the same letter. So I just, I thought that that was interesting that he even particularly embraced her and then several other women in that list that we just kind of skip over sometimes because it's salutations. But I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. I've got thoughts on everything. So I do have a few. The main one is that even the, the gender issue becomes such an issue because we get into the definition of a leader. And I think we're very skewed on that. We're very, uh, mm -hmm. well, we're biased both ways on the term. But Jesus said, the greatest of all is a servant of all, which he was. Jesus did not become a servant when he became a man. He became a man because he was a servant. That is the heart of God. He's not asking us to be anything that he is not. And yet he was definitely a leader, but he was a servant leader. And so one thing that gets us in trouble with the whole gender inclusion issue and women as leaders is we picture so much over under authority type of stuff. That gets us in trouble in every way. Uh, we, we've gotten in a lot of trouble because that's how the world looks at it. I don't look at it that way. In our chat room, uh, uh, part of our midweek uh, on Zoom tonight in Dallas, this one sister uh, just kind of naturally spoke up and got us going in the direction that the uh, lead uh, couple had asked us to do there. And and there was no authority there. At, you know, it wasn't like she assumed some authority over me or anybody else in the group. She just kind of naturally did that. Was she leading? Sure she was. And I was grateful she did. She was serving us in my judgment. Uh, so we get into trouble with that. I, Jesus definitely had a lot of women around him. Paul had a lot of women around him. He was very comfortable with that. I'm confident, I mean, even what he said about the two women in Philippians 4, they had worked with him side by side. They were on the outs with each other. They needed some help. But uh, uh, I love women. I was born loving women. Uh, I love my mother. Uh, I, I just love women. They, they fascinate me. I'm, I'm married to one now for 55 years. Uh, I can't quite figure everything about her out. She's fascinating to me. She has captured me. Uh, we have an awesome marriage and, uh, I, I'm just grateful for the way that God made her, but I, I, I'm very close to a lot of different women in a very pure way. Uh, sometimes we go overboard out of fear of not being pure in our relationship. And that is a huge problem in the world and can be a problem in the church. And we do have to be careful with it. But uh, be that as it may, I, I'm going to have women that are good friends that I'm gonna feel totally comfortable talking with and sharing with. I mean, the whole gender inclusion thing started with my relationship with Jeannie Shaw. Wendell was my best friend in life ever. Uh, I was there for the memorial, family, etc. But Jeannie and I still communicate uh, quite a bit. She's the one that got me started thinking on the gender inclusion thing. And I responded uh, with my traditional roots to start with in way too strong an opinionated way. And she handled it so spiritually and she says, well, okay, have you thought about this or that? And she got me thinking and uh, she gets me thinking all the time. I, I redo things I'm writing as a result of talking to her. I just wrote a short book recently and I, I, I sent a manuscript to Michael Burns, who's a very close uh, writer friend. Uh, we both write about uh, racial issues. I run his stuff a lot. He's written some fabulous books. He's amazing. He's one of my favorite uh, teachers. Uh, just an amazing guy. I sent him a copy. I sent Jeannie a copy. And both of them gave me the kind of input that caused me to rewrite a lot of the book and make it a lot better. But, you know, I, I respect her 
I wasn't looking for the woman's perspective. I was looking for a thinker's perspective, and Jeannie is a thinker. Now, if I wanted to know something about a woman's perspective, I could also ask that, but that's not why I sent her the copy of the book. She's a good thinker. She knows her Bible. I wanted to know, what do you think about this book? Here's my purpose. Do you think this is going to work or not? And she said, well, it could use some help. And so as a result of what Michael gave me and she gave me. So I have friends like Jeannie. I have a lot of daughters. I've written on my website. I've got articles there about adopted daughters. I've got tons of daughters. Got some sons too, but women seem to need a dad more than guys do sometimes. So I've got a lot of uh, younger women that I consider my kids. Now, some of my grandkids. I performed a wedding for a sister recently and she informed me I was her grandfather. Mm -hmm. And so I'm old enough to be. So I'm an adopted grandfather to her. That's great. That's great. Maybe more than you asked for, but. No, that's um, wonderful. We just want to hear, hear from you. And I'm so grateful. In fact, if you went on and even shared that, my um, one of the women got a hold of me tonight, texted me and said, I want to ask him to be my grandfather. <laughs> Specifically, that's what she said about tonight. So I thought that that was great. She's from our congregation here. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, um, I just, uh, we really love having you do this. I hope that you'll just keep us in mind anytime you have a little free time we would love to have you it means a lot to us thank you well it's good to hang out I lived in the Northwest twice you know I, did. I, lived, uh, I started in my ministry over across the river from you in uh, Vancouver Washington I didn't know that for about uh, two and a half years and then I came back and uh, about I think it was 1980 or 81 came back to Tacoma and was there four years they're still looking for you in Vancouver, I think. <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a great time there. Got a lot of great training there. I, I know uh, uh, the, the things that, uh, that, that we've, I'll, I'll use the royal we that we've talked about, that you brought up tonight. Uh, I know we have people that we love and respect a whole lot who may cringe or feel a little bit different. Uh, maybe some strongly on a point or maybe some just with nuances and stuff. And I, do, do you have, I, I know that everyone now though, uh, what has been said amongst a, a lot of the folks I know that, that agree and disagree on this subject is that we need, we need to have conversation. We just, we need to start discussing and have dialogue on it. Do you have, have any advice uh, about how to go about that and how to how to be with each other because I know there's I know there's a lot of there, there's a lot of men it might be uh, you mentioned a threat to, to I, I think for a lot of men and women it's really a sincere uh, love of the Bible and a way we've read the Bible for years and years that that people are struggling with I think that's I think that's the real issue for a lot of people so what, what advice would you have I would say that these issues like this uh, fall into the realm of uh, Romans uh, 14, uh, and that would be uh, opinion areas or disputable matters, as the older versions say. I think they fall into those areas. And so I really am not disturbed if someone disagrees with me on some of this at all. Uh, what I'm disturbed at it's when someone says, no, this is not an opinion area. It's cut and dried. There is no other way to see it except this. That to me is, uh, is not going to fly. Uh, but I don't, I mean, as soon as I wrote the article, I mentioned on, it's on my website. I got a letter from a very close friend of mine who's about exactly the same age with exactly the same background. I mean, we are incredibly alike. And he started his critique off with, well, Gordon, you know what I'm going to say, right? And then he said it. But he did it in a way. He was very forceful about it. He, he wasn't, I mean, he, he's strongly bent in another direction on some of this about the gender stuff. But, uh, you know, he was not an abrasive guy. He was not, uh, you know, in a, in a debate. He was just very forcefully 
strongly saying what he felt and why. And he knew I would handle that just fine. Now I've had other people that got very emotionally hooked and got mad. Well, that's a whole different matter. I didn't get mad back. I just stay calm. I'm not going to get mad with you. It's not worth that to me. I'm going to get mad. I'm going to wait for something, uh, you know, that I can put my foot down stronger on maybe. But at any rate, I've had some get upset. And I'm thinking, what is the deal here? We're good friends. We've got a different way to view it. Hey, I've got some ways my wife and I view things differently. And we've lived together for a long, long, long time. So to me, let's just recognize that in some of these difficult areas, we're going to have some different views, but let's keep talking. My talking with Jeannie Shaw did wonders for me. And once I saw some things, wow, it's kind of like in the racial realm. Once I started seeing some things, uh, it, all of a sudden, a whole new area opened up and I started seeing things from the other side. And if I were a person of color, then here's how that would sound to me. Here's what that would feel like to me. I just had to get educated in areas I wasn't educated in. Jeannie helped me do that with the whole gender thing. Other women have helped me. They've said, Gordon, when you say this, here's how it comes across to me. Mm -hmm. My Romans 12 quote tonight was out of the NIV 2011 version. One of the reasons I use that particular version mostly is because it puts the, uh, the gender thing uh, in. It talks about brothers and sisters. And I understand when it says brothers, it means brothers and sisters in the older versions, but the younger people don't see it that way. They don't understand man as mankind. They understand that as male. And so the new NIV recognized that. And I, I love them taking that gender part of it out of it because there's a feeling. And I have made women feel a certain way. I mean, in the very article that I wrote uh, uh, on my website, actually arguing for more gender inclusion, in one paragraph, I talked about a doctor, an example, an illustration using a doctor. And I put the male pronoun three times in a row before I went back and read it. And yet the last two surgeries I've had have both been women surgeons. Uh, I'm cool with women surgeons. It, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not messed up in my thinking about that. I respect women. I probably prefer a woman doctor sometimes over some of the guys I've had. Unquestionably, I would. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't realize that I'm so gender oriented toward male verbiage because that's the way it's been for all of these years i'm trying to change that i'm trying to make it gender neutral not out of some uh worldly type thing just out of uh consideration for my sisters mm -hmm. that they feel respected and included and like real persons which they are yeah yes well that that seems that seems christ-like and uh, you certainly seem Christ-like in the things that you're doing and saying. And uh, uh, if I could say just a, a, a couple of things, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna thank you at least twice more. Uh, one right now, it's just wonderful getting to hang out with you like this. And uh, promise you'll come back uh, often. Okay, uh, promise when you can. Well, I I don't have much choice. You keep calling. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I, I wanted to say is uh, I I sincerely want uh, with uh, with a lot of my my brothers and sisters who who don't see things the same way and and you know we've never seen everything the same way and we've managed to, to get along I, I want to be uh, I, I want to be really uh, better at being respectful it's it's kind of hard to express a change of mind of something you thought 
for years and years and, and without saying, well, I was wrong and now I'm right. And then that sounds like, well, you're saying I'm wrong. And, and I, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky kind of thing. But the message I want to get out even stronger than that, or at least as strong, I, I don't want anything to be stronger than I want to respect people. Uh, to all of our, our, our men and women who struggle on the other side of this and are very frustrated uh, uh, with folks uh, that are not willing to look at the Bible in a different way from how we've looked at it for years and years. I just want to encourage them not to give up. Don't don't give up on on uh, on your on your brothers and sisters because uh, there's a lot of us who uh, we've we've seen it different now, and there's there's no going back. There's there's no I can be more careful in how I word things, and I can try to be more cautious and try not to be abrasive. But I can't teach this subject the way I used to. It would it would not be a faith. It would be sin. It would be wrong for me to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong for someone else to teach and believe. I know there's an argument. I, but I'm saying that also as an encouragement to people out there. You, you've got some folks that have been doing this for years and years and years and years who who see it a different way. And, and we're not going back. And we're we're going to try to love Jesus. We're gonna we're gonna strive for unity. Uh, and for love and 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 humility overall, but uh, I don't I don't want people who uh, uh, maybe maybe they're young, maybe they're not so young. There's a lot of folks our age that are uh, feeling the same way we're feeling, and they're a bit frustrated. I just want to say, don't. This is a new day, uh, and there is there is no telling where we can go uh, as brothers and sisters who love the Lord and love each other with this and other things. And, and there's really a bigger subject. I mean, I, and I don't want to, how do you weigh these subjects? But it, it really does have so much to do with how we read the Bible. And that is so important for trying to figure out what does God, what does God expect of his children in this day and age to do to glorify him? Uh, my, my hunch is that uh, like it was 2000 years ago, uh, the things that that they were fighting over, they they weren't small issues. It was it was the divinity of Christ and the resurrection and the and the real gospel and and the, the fights against Gnosticism and all that. That that wasn't that wasn't about you know. I mean, in fact, Paul even said you know don't be arguing about words and and myths and genealogies and all. It, it, I mean, Paul always went straight to Jesus, which is where you started tonight. And and I. I, I appreciate that. And I know we've kept you up a, a long time and I plan on doing that many, many times if you let me get away with it. But uh, anyway, everybody hang in there with us. Uh, we're trying to find God's will. We're not going to give up. Uh, we will overcome and uh, we're going to be okay. And Gordon, thank you so much. Would you say a prayer for us uh, before we close out the service? Father, uh, we come to you in such a weird uh, time in our world not just our country but our world and we don't know what to make of a lot of things going on right now we just pray that whatever your purposes are and uh what is sometimes overwhelming to us whatever your purposes are uh we want you to accomplish those we do ask you to preserve as much life as possible protect us and help us in the end of the day to say not our will but yours be done in any situation including this one but father thank you for the uh, modern technology that uh, can be used in good ways it does connect us uh, i love the northwest so it's good for me to be back in the northwest tonight speaking in portland and uh it'll be fun to tell some people tomorrow that i preached in portland last night <laughs> so uh anyway lord uh, you know, you have a sense of humor along with us. That's where we got it. So we do enjoy some of the craziness uh, at times uh, that we're surrounded with. But we are thankful to be together. We're thankful to be able to have the Bible that we believe with all of our hearts is your inspired word. We want to interpret the right way. We want to uh, learn, keep growing. We've changed all of our lives. Uh, we've kept studying and we've changed our minds about a lot of things through the years and it's been exciting change is good uh, if we're changing according to your will so father we just pray you guide our changes guide our thinking 
uh, just bless us uh, through your spirit as we study and as we work together and just help us to reflect Christ. Thank you for this opportunity tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks again. And uh, to everybody who's been with us tonight, I just want to uh, thank you. Uh, encourage our congregation. We are working on uh, trying to make times like this uh, have even more. Uh, we, we want to figure out some way to add music uh, more to it. We're working on being able to live stream on our website uh, so that people that are not into social media uh, and maybe don't necessarily want to come to a Zoom meeting can just go straight to the website. And we're also working on all these cool things. You hear other, all, all the cool kids are doing these breakout rooms and all this sort of stuff. We're, we're, uh, we, we will figure that out. But uh, uh, please hang in there with us. And as always, uh, keep yourselves in the love of the Lord. Uh, God bless. Good night. Jenna, would you take us off live stream? And Gordon, if I could talk to you for one second. All right. Tell us when we're, when we're done, Jenna. You're done. All right. Uh, everybody, I know we've, we've got a few folks here. Thanks. I, I can't, uh, it's hard for me to listen and to, to look at comments or, or chats or things, but thanks to all the people who came here. Uh, Gordon, I'll call you in the next couple of days and, uh, and catch up a little bit more, but thanks. This was wonderful tonight. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of people that will, uh, hopefully they'll send you some private messages on Facebook or through your website. You're, uh, I always tell people I'm not famous, but I'm real public. You're famous and you are public. You've got, you've got your website, you got your books, you got, so people can find you. And, uh, and I, I hope, uh, I hope everybody has an opportunity to tell you how much this meant to them. I do too. Yes. Amen. Love you. I'm signing off. Good night. I have an early morning, very important appointment. You're going fishing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good night. Good night. That's something. I studied with my neighbor today. I go fishing tomorrow. That's, well, keep it up. I hope you catch both. Well, we go. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good God night. bless you. Good night. <laughs>